Price, that's the number one technical indicator. You do best by investing for the longer term. If you can't explain what the business is doing, then that is a huge red flag. Some technological change is going to put you out of business. It really is a genuinely extraordinary situation. Hello everyone, I'm your host Ed Gotham and welcome to another episode of Opto Sessions. This is a unique episode where we were offered the very exciting opportunity to interview Mark Manduka, Chief Investment Officer for Logistics at XPO Logistics, a New York Stock Exchange listed equity. Mark is a CFA with an extensive background in finance as Managing Director of Equity Research at City for approximately three years and prior to that at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch for close to nine years. In this interview, we discuss the newly listed GXO, a spin-off company from XPO, which focuses entirely on engineering faster, smarter, leaner supply chains, driving innovation in logistics from intelligent robotics to vision technology. It's a leader in a fast-growing industry powered by some secular trends, such as the shift to e-commerce. Listen on to find out more. Enjoy. Hi, Mark. Great to have you on the show. How are you doing? Really well, Ed. Thank you so much for the opportunity today. Are you based in London? Or are, you, are you calling for somewhere else at, at the moment? I believe so much in this role and job. I have moved my family from London to Connecticut. So, oh wow, doing uh, doing early mornings and late evenings as we as we head into the uh, the spin out from XBO on the second of August. Yeah, and uh, actually interesting that um, I keep on. I knew the interview was coming up, obviously, because we had it scheduled. And um, I keep on seeing lorries on the motorway at the moment. There's XBO lorries everywhere. I mean, it is one of the biggest uh, logistics delivery companies globally, I think. And um, they are everywhere in the UK. <laughs> it is, it's, 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 it's an amazing company. It's, it's great company, spinning out great company. Big fans of, uh, of Romainco and XBO and the energy here and everything that they do. And if I could just start by asking, uh, what is XBO Logistics? Just for people who don't know or haven't heard of the company before. Absolutely. So it is a leading uh, transportation and logistics company. And within that, our major profit centers are LTL business, so the less than full truckload uh, business, the brokerage business, so essentially the freight forwarding element of our business. And then, of course, the contract logistics business, which I'll be chief investment officer of when we, uh, we spin out. And that, that third portion represents around 35% of the sales of the entire XBO conglomerate. And uh, we'll be spinning out, as I mentioned, on the 2nd of August. So super excited. Can you just take us through the, um, the spin-off at GXO then? Um, go into detail on what it is and, and what you offer your clients, et cetera. That, no, completely. Ed. Look, we've been very proud and privileged to be able to showcase this fabulous asset of, of 900 warehouses and 100,000 teammates uh, in what is effectively a global leader in the contract logistics space. We're the largest global pure play operator in the fast growing contract logistics market. Um, and if your life is about what you're best at and trying to sort of pull back the curtain as to what we do, we are best in class at standing up, I think, very technologically advanced supply chain solutions uh, for our customers, blue chip customers. And, and what we do is we do it at scale um, and with speed. So our customers uh, come to us in droves for our offering. We solve people's solutions for them within the warehouse. And and what factors are driving this sort of growth in global logistics? Obviously, a lot of stuff happened since uh, the COVID crisis, and I bet there's various things that have helped uh, logistics uh, excel during that reopening and, and expansion of e-commerce, et cetera. But from your perspective, what have you seen as the sort of 
growth areas that are driving global logistics. You're totally right, Ed. And there are three major drivers that are driving global contract logistics. And for us in particular, we're benefiting from e-commerce, automation, uh, and outsourcing. Within those themes, e-commerce, I don't need to lecture you on e-commerce. You're obviously a student of the game. We've got about 40% of our revenues exposed to the e-com market, and it's obviously substantially outgrowing the broader economy. That was helped to a certain degree by COVID, but by be clear, it's by no means a cyclical phenomenon, this. I, I very much believe that this was not some sort of post-pandemic veneer, and then we go back to some sort of normality. I believe that we've had um, a secular change, and I think that it'll only be expedited going forwards. On automation, the next big mega trend, well, warehouses are becoming increasingly automated. We're a leader in that field in terms of technology. We've got a first mover advantage uh, with scalable software solutions. And on the outsourcing side, our third major mega trend, um, which has, 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 as you say, been expedited through the, the, the COVID crisis, supply chains have historically been handled in-house by our customers. At the moment, there's about 70% of all global supply chains that are still yet to be outsourced. Um, with expectations, obviously, as I mentioned, for speed and precision that have been rising, I think supply chains are going to become more and more complex, particularly as we'll talk about on this call about reverse logistics, which is just you know, causing customers to pull their hair out, quite frankly. And therefore, this is exactly why customers need us you know, going forward. Customers increasingly need a third-party logistics provider to solve their problems because it's just all become a bit too much, quite frankly, in the, uh, in the, in the crazy and fast-growing world of e-commerce. One of the trends here is, is it globalization? Because it's not just domestic in America. And I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, but you're handling global supply chains in multiple countries. Is that right? That's exactly right. Global supply chains in multiple countries. And there are so many underlying sub-themes within those major megatrends. So for example, what you're seeing at the moment in terms of the bottleneck that exists across the world, the log jam that we've got uh, from a shortage of containers all the way through to labor inflation, all the way through to... Um, the bottlenecks that we're seeing in the trucking market, all of these things lead customers to want to find a third-party logistics provider, you know, someone who can fix their problems for them. And I'll give you a tangible example. In the old days, way back when, you know, the Dickensian warehouses of old used to have a thousand t-shirts or a thousand teddy bears arrive on a truck one afternoon and ultimately be palleted off into two separate boxes um, within the space of a day. Very easy to do. It would go to two brick and mortar retailers. Job done customer buys from brick and mortar retailer. In the e-commerce world, what inevitably happens is, is that a thousand t-shirts or a thousand teddy bears arrive, and then those thousand t-shirts slash a thousand teddy bears end up getting put into a thousand separate boxes, of which 30% end up coming back. So this turnstile of madness that has been created in people's back offices, it needs a white knight, and that's us. And why is it that... Um Previously, people chose to do it themselves. It sounds a bit sort of um, backwards because it's not their main business for a lot of these people. Well, all of them probably. And why would they choose to try and take that on themselves? Was there a lack of anyone else in the market doing it? Well, as you say, there's a few things. Well, first of all, a lot of companies were, were not as global as they are today, as we've seen in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you need today more of a scalable player, more of a, a multinational player. On top of that, reverse logistics wasn't as complicated. Once again, you need a scalable player, someone who understands how to deal with a significant amount of reverse logistics. One in 10 items were originally returned, and today it's more like one in three. Customers also have seen an uptick in regards to technology requirements as well. And 
it's all very well believing that a person that manufactures and sells cookies is going to be able to stack a warehouse with some very complex technology to manage all these different line items. But the truth is they're probably not going to be able to do that. And therefore, your competition have been upgaging to better technology in their warehouses, driving down costs for themselves. And therefore, you've had to do the same thing as that same cookie manufacturer. So it, it effectively causes um, a, you know, what have the Joneses got down the road type mentality. And I'd also add to that an overlay, which is manufacturing has become so complicated that, you know, the phone that you just showed me um, in your pocket, ultimately it involves roughly 43 countries for it to be put together. So if one piece of that chain breaks, because say a plant gets COVID yeah. or all the other stuff that's been happening in the last 18 months, then ultimately the whole chain breaks with it. So you need someone to manage that process. We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions along with any other feedback in the review section. Now, back to the show. And um, just bringing it back quickly to the e-commerce trend. Yeah, of course. Are you sort of, um, sort of saying that basically something that was inevitably going to happen, like the move from traditional retail to online retail, has just been expedited by this you know, uh, crazy shift in how people have been sent home and, you know, having to do things from home. It's just, it's just sort of brought that forward. On, so this trend, because that's the way that the sort of world's going. It's been brought forward, but I don't think there's going to be a step change downwards, say, into 2022. If anything, we're forecasting yeah. significant growth next year of 8 to 12%. Yeah, yeah. So I hear you on the, the brought forward, and there's, there's no doubt that's the case. You've seen it as, as air freight availability has fallen, demand to get all these goods that have been bought online through the pandemic have obviously shifted modally towards more like shipping. And what's happened, therefore, is container ships ultimately have seen a shortage of supply. Their rates have gone up in turn. There's been a shortage of containers. And needless to say, this is a whole spiral effect. This logjam that I talked about earlier is going to have to unwind itself at some point. Yeah. Um, and that point I made as well about this, the Dickensian world of old and the new aged warehouse of the future of today. Over that 20-year that period, what we've ultimately seen is, is through a demand for warehousing for e-commerce, as you say, it's resulted in effectively, depending on which industry you're in, a 3x to 10x need for warehousing increase, just to give you a sense of the magnitude of demand for warehousing going forwards because of yeah. this e-com theme. And can you just um, quickly just take us through your, your role as like Chief Investment Officer at XPO or GXO? Is, where, is that where you will be? Yeah, so currently Chief Investment Officer of the supply chain business, which is effectively GXO within the XBO conglomerate, spinning out on the 2nd of August and working very closely with our highly judicious and excellent chief financial officer who not only has a background in capital markets, also has an exceptionally strong background in e-commerce as well. So perfectly positioned to write extremely high return, uh, long duration, um, sensible contracts for this business going forward. So that's, that's a good thing. Work very closely with him, not just on the investments within the business, but also on the media side, such as this, um, on the investor side, and also ultimately on the on the M and A side of the business as well. Mm -hmm. And what was the uh, sort of background behind spinning off GXO from XBO? What's the reason for it? So first and foremost, whenever you do a spin, when you ring fence your business from a conglomerate, uh, you you end up creating a pure play equity currency to attract talent and to engage in accretive strategic transactions. So I think each company will now be able to tailor its own capital structure, both Remainco, so XBO, and also GXO, so spin out, 
they'll both be able to tailor their, their capital structure and capital allocation to their own strategic priorities going forward. So it's a good thing for both companies. On top of that, we've also got an investment credit rating at GXO uh, out of the gate. So day one will be investment grade credit rated when we spin. And from that standpoint, that allows us to write even longer term contracts um, and get even better pricing power within our industry, an industry that's not very well known for, for good balance sheets. So that's all positive for both RemainCo and NewCo spin out effectively. So great company spinning out of great company. I would also say that the initial goal of, of any spin as well, and this is obviously a secondary theme, um, but very, very important, as you can imagine, for our shareholders and stakeholders. If you think about the spin itself, the goal, I think, is also to benefit XBO and GXO and their relevant stakeholders by, in effect, unlocking trapped equity value. And to be precise, what I see post the spin is, is that each business will trade at a sharp premium uh, to XBO's current multiple in the stock market. So it'll be a value creation opportunity, first and foremost, an ability to shine a light on an amazing business and a simplification story for something that is effectively in this spin out, it's going to create a category in so many ways. There isn't anything like us. We're a rare breed type of asset. Mm-hmm. You know, with the revenue growth that we have, with the scale that we have, the technological advancement, the EBITDA profit growth that we have, and also the free cash flow generation that we make as a business. But first and foremost, this business makes a phenomenal return on invested capital. We're making a 28% return on invested capital in this business. Mm-hmm. So I think people will see that and get very excited. Yeah, so I assume as a part of the... Uh the whole of XPO at the moment is one of the most fast-growing sort of areas. Is that safe to say? Is, is that why you know it's got getting such an interest in it? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's obviously extremely strong growth as you can imagine. I mean, Remainco is growing very well as well. But yeah. if you think about our business, you know, generating around seven billion of revenues, profit pool margins of around eight to nine percent, um, and in so many ways, as an industry, if you're driving scale, we should see margin expansion going forwards as well as, as we're guiding to. And broadly, two-thirds of our business is obviously coming from Europe, one-third North America. So we're a global player growing very quickly within this business. This year alone, we're going to be growing profits at around 30% to give you a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, it's a double our growth story going forwards. And over the next sort of five to 10 years for GXO, where do you see, what's the growth strategy? Where are you sort of seeing areas where you can unlock value? Is it certain countries you're targeting uh, or is there something you can talk about on that side? Yeah, great stuff, Ed. So a couple of things to be aware of. E-commerce is about 20% penetrated at the moment. So I know we've been talking about e-commerce for the last 20 years, but actually in terms of its nascency, it's still very much in the first or second innings. Automation at the moment as an industry, only around 5% penetrated. Um, in people's warehouses as an industry. If you look at our European business as an example, we're 30% penetrated to give you a sense of our leadership in that regard. Mm-hmm. So lots of runway for growth, both with us and as an industry. And then outsourcing as well at the moment, only 30% penetrated. So in terms of the secular themes, all in their nascency and all in the early days, there's obviously an opportunity to, to grow in a fragmented market. But although we're a pure play asset market leader, we've only got 5% of a $130 billion outsourced market. So you know, if you look across Europe and North America, there's a phenomenal ability here to consolidate both both uh, through excellence and through force. And what I mean by that is customers will want to be with the biggest and the best. And I think there'll be a gravitation towards the big getting bigger as a result. And I also think that there'll be M&A going yep. forwards as well if the right multiples present themselves. There's an amazingly strong pipeline in this mm-hmm. business. I mean, you shouldn't forget the visibility that we have in terms of our growth. I mean, we've got 30% of the Fortune 100 companies in our business, and we play in those really high-growth consumer-orientated fields, as I mentioned at the start, with over 50% of our business in e-commerce, omni-channel, retail, and, and consumer tech. 
So we're in the right place at the right time. We've got a diverse blue chip customer base where no single customer makes up more than 4% of our business. And our top 20 customers have been with us for 15 years or more. So it's, a, it, it's hopefully going to be an amazing story of, of growth and excess in the next few years as, as a company that just happens to be in the right place at the right time um, through excellence and fortitude yeah. manages to capitalize on all the opportunities that exist. And in terms of USPs or competitive advantage for GXO, what does it have against its competitors? Why would people choose GXO over others? Yeah, very simple. If you want to play in this space, you should always think about, you know, when you're, when you're outsourcing to a third-party logistics provider, you should think about whether the party can provide you with the scalability that you need, i.e., can they get the bargaining power on labor? Do they have the relationships with the real estate companies, uh, the prologuses and segros of this world to be able to, to drive savings for you as a customer? You need to think about as well the idea of technology and, and whether the company has done it before or whether they can have bargaining power in regards to buying the correct technological stacks that you need for your particular warehouse. And we've seen innumerable warehouses across our 900 warehouse population, across our more than 1,000 customers. And therefore, hopefully, there's nothing we haven't seen before within our verticals. Um, but we're always learning as a company. When it comes to thinking about other elements, you have to also consider the multinational nature of our company across 27 different countries. A customer will come to us primarily because they not only want to give us the Leicester contract, but they also want to give us the Indiana contract down the line if we do a really good job of the Leicester contract, as obviously we intend to do. So you want to have global companies working with global companies, and that's where I think we supersede, say, some of the local champions, so to speak, albeit great companies in their own right. And are you able to give us any examples of you know, case studies of companies you've worked with and how you've helped them grow their business? Totally. Um, there's, there's so many, I wouldn't even know where to start, but let me give it, give it a go. I mean, in terms of one of the areas that our business is extremely focused on and our customers are extremely focused on is clearly on the ESG side. And ESG has been a key focus area for us for many years. We're committed not only to helping our customers, but also achieve our own environmental goals. I think to answer your question, a good example of that would probably be our leadership um, that we've proved with Kiring, which you'll know well, um, it was a warehouse actually that we stacked in uh, in Italy, um, and yeah. it has one of the Europe's largest rooftop solar systems, and it saves an estimated seven thousand five hundred tons of, of carbon dioxide per year. And to make that you know put that in simple language, if you think about the amount of of energy that the site produces, it produces more energy than it consumes. So it's an excellent example of, of GXO leading, leading the way in, in net carbon neutrality as one of the many customer offerings that we can provide. But ESG is important to us, important to our customers, and it's one of the many reasons that customers come to us. And I was quite interested in some, you've got lots of innovative um, robots and other things. Are you able to describe a few of them and what they do? just so people get a clearer picture of like what's going on in these warehouses? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. I urge your, your listeners to... Uh, to consider coming to uh, the, the Nestle warehouse of the future. It's, it's one of the most extraordinary uh, extraordinary visions where we combine robotics and automated guided vehicles alongside advanced sortation systems and vision technology. And in so many ways, we, we deliver these uh, operational benefits for our customers primarily to generate um, dramatic profit, uh, productivity gains for them. If you think about the old warehouses um, of, uh, of that Dickensian era that I talked about, Ed, I'll give you a tangible example of where it helps customers. So if you think about, say, for example, a robotic arm, 
in the past, what you would have is around 210 cases um, per hour being picked, so effectively being lifted. In the automated era, that number could be 4x that amount, so potentially as much as 800 cases uh, per hour from a picking rate standpoint. It's those kind of savings that we're making for our customers by implementing automation. As a business, we plan on having about 3,100 or more robots and automation systems in place by the end of year 2021 across our 900 sites. And all of this in its totality provides superior visibility and control for our customers. It increases the fulfillment speed and accuracy. It eliminates in so many ways data silos as well that exist within within our customers in-house operations. And naturally, as you can imagine, with some of our more labor productivity orientated tools, it overcomes space and labor constraints as well for our customers. And you mentioned briefly the vision technology. What exactly is that? So what you do is you use uh, vision technology across the warehouse to quicker sort and to move products through the warehouse at speed. So it's effectively scanning equipment in so many ways. Yeah. And... um... What's important, obviously, in it for any business is how what sort of defensible your, your strategy is. When, um, as a leader, is, are you then in a very defensible position, basically, to maintain that competitive advantage because you're already already that far ahead of the competition? So we're always uh, cautious and we always respect our competition um, immensely. But we have some phenomenal drivers in our business and a makeup of scale, longevity of customer relationships globality, strong balance sheet, technological advancement that allow us to be in a very strong position for any contract that we choose to win and choose to partner with with our customers. What I would say is this, that differentiates from what I've just said. And that is, if you think about our business, we are an unconflicted, white-glove, Cadillac service that comes into your operation, protects your reputation in so many ways. And at no point will we be doing anything other than working in your best interests. We don't have websites. We don't have other operations. We just focus on 900 warehouses and doing an amazing job for you on supply chain. That's what we do best. Mm-hmm. And how automated will logistics eventually be? Like, How far can this go? What's the future of it? I'd like to believe that this industry, I mean, it's never going to be 100% automated. Um, it has a long way to run. If you think about the starting point of the industry at around 5%. And if you look at our automation uh, revenue as a percentage of total revenue, roughly in Europe at around 30%, I think the industry has a long way to run. It would be, in my view, over the next decade or two, strange if we didn't get to more than 50% of warehouses being automated. The, The direction is very much up right now, and the growth and demand from customers to save uh, money and to automate their warehouses uh, in the most productive way possible is huge. Well, thanks very much, Mark. It's been great to go through GXO uh, in detail and it looks like a really exciting business and exciting stock. So lastly, I just wanted to finish by asking you, where can people find this stock when it lists? When will it list? Uh, just uh, You mentioned it at the start of the show, but if you can just remind people uh, and possibly where they can keep up to date with uh, the developments on that side. All right, you're so kind. So we, we, um, we are going to be listing on the New York Stock Exchange on the 2nd of August. Uh, GXO, as you mentioned, is going to be the name of the company. Uh, and we will be uh, we're very excited ahead of that event. It's going to be um, so it's only a week and a half away. It, feel, it feels uh, feels like it came up so quickly. Uh, I've been at the company for three months, and um, and here we are. So we're very excited ahead of that planned spin date. Well, good luck with it. Um, it's, again, it's been great to speak to you. And um, yeah, have a good rest of the week. Uh, thanks so much. Cheers, Mark. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. 
If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time. CoFruition.